Hey, good morning, Amanda. Good to see you. Let's wait a few more minutes. Thanks. Okay, I'm going to get started. Well, good morning, everyone. Good morning, Amanda. Good morning, uh, Alana, and all the future listeners. Today is September the 25th, 2020, uh, 2022. So today I'm going to branch out a little bit to do one episode, and probably one episode only, uh, from the global justice perspective. I always wanted to talk about this. One reason is that a lot of calling programs talks about geopolitical stuff. And, uh, you know, uh, being from China originally, you know, I certainly had my things to say. 
but uh, as this is first, is that as I have said in the update, it's the MLK who said this, injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. That is, you know, profound, right? So basically, if a judicial white privilege, it's a thing from the past, as I have always said, judicial white privilege came, comes from the colonialism in America. Not only the Europeans conquered America, conquered the Native Americans, they actually have to set up a, quote, legal, unquote, system to justify the operation of a, you know, orderly society, for lack of a better expression. And uh, so it's quite natural to think that what happened on the global stage uh, in this sense. And third reason is that I have this troll, uh, his, uh, his name's Greg, I'm calling. He keep asking me things about, oh, what about Hong Kong? What about Taiwan? And then this guy said, so, uh, you know, challenged me with those, uh, you know, drive-by comments. Well, the reason is that he felt that I was being, uh, I was attacking the beauty of American democracy. And he wants to point out that my, I originally came from China. I need to, I have no standing to criticize the United States. Of course, I disagree first. And second is that I do have a lot to say about Taiwan and Hong Kong. So, and I want to talk about it. And my answer may be surprising. So now I'm going to uh, split this uh, into a few segments. The first one is introduction as usual, and, uh, and then followed by segment one, the failure of the League of the Nations. The League of, of the Nations is the predecessor of the United Nations. The segment two, I'm gonna talk about the failure of the United Nations from the get-go in 1945. And the th third segment, I'm gonna talk about the NATO, where the NATO is a legitimate replacement of a United Nation, or is it really just a white militaristic alliance? And the fourth segment, I'm going to talk about annexations and secessions. So annexation and secessions meaning uh, one part of the land want to separate from another part of the country. That being Ukraine, that could be Taiwan, that could be Hong Kong, that could be the slave-owning South of the United States, that could be uh, Northern Ireland, in, 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 the, in the British colony, uh, in the British Empire, and that can be Catalonia in Spain. So I'm gonna talk about annexations and cessations. Cessations, cessions, sorry. And then I'm gonna conclude afterwards. So it's a, bit, a little bit long for the reason is that when, it goes low, when you go global, there's a whole lot more to talk about. So I'm going to go straight to it. And uh, feel free to call in and uh, if you disagree or you have comments, okay, Amanda and uh, Alana. So the introduction is this. I started this show with uh, uh, by talking about uh, 
Black Rage shootings, one of which occurred on the New York City subway. Okay, it is my belief. Uh, welcome, Greg. I'm glad to see you. I'm going to talk about uh, Taiwan and Hong Kong today, Greg. So feel free to call in if you disagree. Okay. So the, it's always always my belief. All the violence in America, the gun violences, the left side keep complaining about gun control. Uh, to me, is it's the failure or absence of a functional justice system is the root cause of all forms of violence. Okay, so there are mass shootings in America and internationally. So I'm going to give you an example, not far from where I live, in the place called the Elk Mills, E-L-K-M-I-L-L-S, Maryland, about 20 minutes by driving from where I live. In this month, the Cecil County Sheriff's Office identified the two adults and three children killed on Friday's murder-suicide in Elk Mills. So basically, one parent, being the father, pulled out a gun, killed th uh, three, his, uh, three children, and then killed his wife, and then called the police, saying there's been people killed in this house. And when the police arrived, the man killed himself. Is that a mass shooting? It is. Is it reported? Not really. It's lightly reported. Nobody talks about mass shooting. But uh, for a human being to pull out a gun to shoot his own children, that tells you a lot. It takes a lot for a human being to kill his or her own children. I remember Susan Smith who drowned her own boys in the lake. It just tells you there's something profoundly wrong, meaning that whatever grievances this guy had cannot be resolved through a functional justice system, plain and simple. I have said in the beginning, those black rage shootings are mostly coming out of some grievances from, from employment, from workplaces, you know, and uh, plus some knowledge about the historic wrongs that the, that the Blacks has suffered, right? So, so that is just an example. Second, I'm going to go international. Mass shootings, war is an exercise of a mass shootings, very organized way, right? We have a lot of mass shootings happened. We have a civil war in America because we cannot resolve Actually, it's not for slaves. Civil war, like I said, I always said, the civil war in America is not about freeing the slave. It's about the South want to, like what Taiwan wants to do, secede from the Union. They cannot come to a legal resolution. The South can leave the Union. Therefore, let's have a war. Let's have a mass shooting. Uh-huh, 600,000 people died, right? So, 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 so I want to go talk about the judicial white privilege in a global scale because first it came from colonialism. Colonialism itself is a global affair, right? Colonialism is a first and the foremost a military control 
of a weaker group of a people of an inferior race, right? Even today, if you want to seek compensation or reparation from those military operations, if you want to do that, it's, it's impossible because there's no international courts that can have that, that has the jurisdiction to legally issue a remedy for these uh, formerly colonized people or countries. So, you know, I want to go back to one of the episodes I talk about on July 4th this year. I did not know Thomas Paine, one of the founding fathers, he is extremely hostile towards the British crown. Okay. If you read all those nasty comments about the passing of the queen recently, they don't even match to what Thomas Paine said about the British crown back then during the American independence. Nasty stuff. The bottom line, the principle Thomas Paine is saying this, how come a little island nation called Britain with a little king or queen there can, can control so much of the world? That's a valid argument, right? You know, as a matter of fact, I was trying to compare the word commonwealth to communism. I thought communism is about the procession of property by the public. No private ownership of property is allowed. What about the commonwealth? In other words, if the British crown named all his or her colonies as a commonwealth, then are those formerly colonized people and the countries deserve a share of that quote commonwealth unquote, in the form of a reparation? Will that a British court issue such remedy for those people and the countries who were formerly colonized by the Britain? So that's why I'm going to talk just a little bit about this uh, global justice topic. I, I don't think I'm going to talk too much about it because uh, the book is going to be limited only to the domestic cases, domestic issues. For the reason is, you know, is apparent. The constitution applied to any living inhabitants in this country within the, uh, the boundary of the United States. So I don't want to venture out too much there. So that's the introduction for today's episode. The second, uh, the segment one, I'm going to talk about the failure of the League of the Nations from the get-go. One interesting thing about the wars, which I hate, I hate wars, or, or any wars I hate. It's, you know, wars are mass shootings in the largest scale. But one of the interesting things that the war always bring about is change in the in the rela international relationship, especially the world wars. So the, after the first world war, a group of countries decided to form an organization, international organization called the League of the Nations. The League of the Nations is the predecessor of the United Nations today. The League of Nations was the first worldwide intergovernmental organization whose principal mission was to maintain world peace. 
It was founded in 1920 by the Paris Peace Conference that ended the First World War. Okay, you see the mission is to maintain world peace. I have said always, when there's no justice, there's no peace. So you will think there is a need for global justice at the founding of the League of Nations after the First World War. You will think the nations will start to get along, right? Here comes a little twist, which I, I do not know for the longest time, is that there is another island nation who really has aspired to do what the British is doing. And that island nation is Japan. Around the time of the founding of the League of the Nation, Japan made a major proposal for this international organization. The Japan's proposal is called Racial Equality Proposal to the Charter of the League of the Nation. The racial equality proposal is to abolish racial discrimination. It was an amendment to the Treaty of Versailles that was considered at the 1919 Paris Peace Conference. So Japan actually at the time has the vision saying, we must establish racial equality in order to obtain world peace. Isn't that smart? Isn't that smart? But there's a The proposal by Japan was never intended to have any universal implications, but it's only in, attached to it for, for the purpose of having a racial equality of a member nation of the League of the Nation. It is not, let me repeat, it is not for the racial equality of all colored peoples. So Japan at the time want to seek an equal footing in the world powers. Because Japan is certainly concerned that British and the Europeans, Portuguese, Spain, Spanish, French, German, they're all colonizing Africa and a part of Asia. So Japan is getting very concerned, right? Although this proposal was broadly supported, the proposal did not become part of the treaty because of opposition by whom? Take a guess. By what nation? Take a guess. By the United States and the dominions of the British Empire delegation, namely Australia, New Zealand. Makes sense, right? Its rejection was once cause of Japan's alienation from the other great powers at the time and helped rationalize its increased nationalism and the militarism domestically that would lead to the World War II. So what I'm saying here is this, by rejecting Japan's e racial equality clause in the first version of the United Nations called the League of Nations, 
the Western country, the United States, the British, the Australians, the New Zealanders, they already laid the groundwork for the Second World War. And don't forget why Adolf Hitler became popular. It's because in the same Paris Peace Conference, German is not even a participant of that peace conference, but German was forced to pay a lot of reparations to these powerful nations. That's so much that the German economy cannot even sustain itself, which leads to the rise of a Nazis. So in this segment, what I'm trying to say is this. The League of Nations, the first version of the United Nations, failed from the get-go because they, it is a tool for colonialism. It's not a some kind of a morally superior organization that care for the racial equality for all people. They don't even about Japan's assertion that they should be treated equally in the entire world stage. So as far as I know, Japan's campaign in the Second World War is sometimes called Asia for Asiatics. That's a very strong political statement, meaning Japan intend to be the boss of Asia. That in Chinese is called Da Dongya Gongrongquan. I will strictly translate to English. Japan will call its purpose, its goal in the Second World War is to create something called the Commonwealth of a Greater Eastern Asia, the Commonwealth of a Greater Eastern Asia. So you can tell the Japan, uh, the Japanese at the time is a very good student of the British. Like the Britain, they are from a small island. They see what British is doing. Like Thomas Paine, they don't like it. They want to do something about it. So that ends my first segment, the failure of the League of Nations from the ghetto. The second segment, I'm, uh, I'm going to talk about the failure of the United Nations from the ghetto. Oh, by the way, I brought this up because uh, last week, this past week, is this uh, 77th General Assembly of the United Nations. Uh, the United Nations as an organization posts a lot of uh, speeches by different uh, foreign ministers or the head of the foreign uh, countries on YouTube. So feel free to go watch it. You will very quickly find out that United Nations is a mess today. Okay, so in this segment, I'm going to talk about why the United Nations failed from the get-go. As I call the U.S. as a white authoritarian democracy, you know, it's the, it's the, under the same principle, under the same 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 principle, the United Nations was founded. One thing to know, just like I said, the Second World War brought about 
the creation of the United Nations. However, the founding members, however, the founding members of the United Nations are mostly white countries, right? And uh, and they are mostly European countries. You know, at the founding, the United Nations is called an international organization, intergovernmental organization, whose stated purpose are to maintain international peace and security, develop friendly relationships, relations among nations, achieve international cooperation, and be a center for harmonizing the actions of nations. Harmonizing the actions of nations. Think about what the UN is doing today in the Ukraine conflict. Can he or is uh, can can it or is there anything to harmonizing the actions to harmonize the actions of nations? I'm going to say probably not. Right. So, how the UN, a white majoritarian organization, can maintain world peace when the European countries has been the colonizers of the world and the instigators of a, both the First World War and the Second World War? That would be a valid question. Apparently, it's not. And there's a good example right after the funding of the United Nations. Okay, so I'm going to talk about United Nations is founded in 1945, I believe. Yes, 45 here. And uh, in the same year, a man by the name of Ho Chi Minh read the Declaration of Independence of Vietnam. The Declaration of Independence of Vietnam literally was copied from the Declaration of Independence of America. And it happened, the Declaration happened in September the 2nd, 1945. The UN is established in October 24th, just about a month and three weeks later. And it's at the same time, the French started returning to Vietnam, to colonize Vietnam once again, right? So, so, so at that from the get-go, the UN is not the solution for world peace. He actually started, laid out the foundation for more violence and mass killings as the solution to get world peace. As we all know, as, as soon as French decided to return to Vietnam, the U.S. decided to fund 80% of the French operation in Vietnam. It's a repeat today of what U.S. is doing in Ukraine by giving money and weapons to Ukraine to fight a proxy war. In 1945, between 1945 and 
the United States already decided they're going to help French to return to Vietnam, and they're going to fund 80% of that effort. So for Vietnam to be independent from the French government, there's no peace. There's no peaceful alternative. The only way to go about it is to have a war. And not, after, not, not too long afterwards, here comes another one, China. China, in my opinion, is the first target of a UN enforcement, as uh, President Truman called it, UN police action. Basically, long story short, the, after the Second World War, Korea is divided at the 38th parallel. And the North Koreans is unhappy about it. They want to unite the entire nation. So they cross the 38th parallel. For that, the US, under the flag of UN, in the name of UN, decided to intervene. Nothing wrong about it, okay? Nothing wrong about it. The problem is this. The 38 parallel is the dividing line. What happened is that this guy, General uh, MacArthur, Douglas MacArthur, he has his own ideas, even though he literally was the police chief for a UN police action, meaning push back the North Korean back to the 38 parallel line. What General MacArthur did is that he has his own ideas. He wants to use that as an opportunity to invade into China. And this, again, this is a, legally speaking, it's a mess because uh, the US involvement in Korea back then is under the UN jurisdiction. And also, in addition to that, any military commanders overseas they are under the control of the president of the United States. The United States is the, uh, the president, is the commander in chief. But General Douglas MacArthur wanted none of those. He wants to go all the way into China. Okay? So, 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 so. So what happened next is, of course, China gave, gave out two diplomatic warnings, one through a Pakistani ambassador, I believe. Another one is through the uh, Indian press president of India that China will have to enter into, intervene and en enter Korea if the US further push up to the 38th paragraph. And, uh, and, 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 and because of that, the Korean War formally broke out. Okay, here I'm going to talk about, again, these are all international. Here I'm going to talk about there's another version of a second amendment. 
China's leader at the time, Chairman Mao, has this famous saying, which is widely spread among all the formerly colonized world. It's called, the political power grows out of the barrel of a gun. I call that the Second Amendment, the Chinese version. So Mao perfectly, uh, correctly predicted at the time that General MacArthur's plan is to invite China. And strategically, he believed we will be, China will be better off by intervening in Korea rather than waiting for MacArthur to invade China. Okay. What happened to the rest is just the history. What happened to that, the rest is history. So this is 1950. Now I'm going to fast forward to 1972. Remember Japan is the first one who brought up this uh, concept of a racial equality on a global scheme, while China now another one. In 1972, in the Shanghai communique, signed by President Nixon and the Chinese leader, there is a specific paragraphs stating the Chinese position when it comes to racial equality in the world, okay? So the, uh, in that Shanghai communique, there's a written statement that's like this. Wherever there is oppression, there is resistance. Countries want independence. Nations want liberation. And the people want revolution. This has become the irresistible trend of a history. All nations, big or small, should be equal. Big nations should not bully the small and the strong nations should not bully the weak. China will never be a superpower and oppose hegemony and the power politics of any kind. The Chinese side stated that it firmly supports the struggles of all oppressed people and nations for freedom and liberation and that the people of all countries have the right to choose their social systems according to your, their own wishes and the right to safeguard the independence, sovereignty, and the territorial integrity of their own countries and oppose foreign aggressions, interference, control, and subversion. All foreign troops should be withdrawn to their own countries. The Chinese side expressed its firm support to the peoples of Vietnam, Laos, and Cambodia in their efforts for the attainment of their goal. Okay. So that, I'll end this segment by bringing up uh, this country's uh, statement in the United Nations. This country's name is uh, Mali. This week, Mali, which is a formerly a French colony, basically alleged that in their United Nations speech that the Macron's government is an evil criminal junta, J-U-N-T-A. So now things are not looking good for the Western powers because there's more calls 
to end any form of colonialism, form of oppression by one country to another, especially by the European countries against less developed, formerly colonized countries. Okay, so with that, I'm going to jump to the segment three, whether NATO is a white militaristic alliance and whether the Russia-NATO war, aka the Ukraine war, is another opportunity for war peace. Because by now I have explained that after the First World War, the League of Nations rejected the Japanese proposal of racial equality. After the Second World War, at the founding of the United Nations, the United Nations rejected, or the US rejected, the Vietnamese aspiration to become independent from the French, French, uh, French control. So now we are, in my opinion, we are literally at the Third World War. In this, in today's situation, we can tell that, 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 that NATO has already overtaken the United Nations because the UN is never supposed to work. The UN cannot stop expansion of NATO to Russia's border. It's just another example that the Europeans and the white elite, elitists in America never intended for the United Nations to be a racially equal intergovernmental organization. So in fact, in my opinion, this is my opinion only, the threat of some so-called communism is not a ideological one. It's a more of a racial one. Russia is not a ideological threat to the West, to the NATO countries. Because the Soviet Union, the Soviet bloc is a gone, long gone. Russia is not a communist country. The Russian soldiers are being paid to fight in, in Ukraine. So this so-called threat of communism as spread by the mainstream media, the diff, uh, both political parties, it's a hope. It's not a ideal, ideological threat. It is a racial threat. Okay. Ho Chi Minh, when he declared independence for Vietnam, he is not an ideological threat. He is a racial threat because he advocates for freedom from Western colonization. And the US, without much debate, get involved with the French in the Vietnam War is for racial oppression because the US domestically also is executing the policies of racial oppression. The main force of communism is in Europe. The US never decided to engage militarily in Europe against Soviet Union. The US readily 
engaged in the war in Vietnam, not because the communism threat is not bad in Europe. It's because the U.S. government believes they easily win in the Vietnam War because uh, the Vietnamese are of a smaller statue and shorter people, and the U.S. has a big bombs. The United States literally thought it could repeat what happened to the Native Americans. Okay, so, 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 so with that, I'm going to jump to segment four: annexations and secessions. I want to talk domestically first, because uh, I, you know, like I said, I have been in conversation with I, who is a member of the Sons of the Confederate Soldiers, which is a organization, civic organization, made of people who, you know, who have a heritage uh, from the Confederate, com from the Confederacy. So one of the things we talked about is that whether the South at the time was allowed by Constitution of the United States to secede from the Union. And my position is yes, the South could have seceded from the Union peacefully, legally, constitutionally. And yes, there are no clause in the Constitution that prohibits a state to secede from the Union. You probably have to go through some kind of a legislative process, electoral process, to make it happen. But there's no clause in the Constitution that prohibits a state to secede. As a matter of fact, the United States is a loosely federated state. Otherwise, the United States will be called the, the, people, uh, the, the Republic of America. Just one federal government for all 50 states. That's not the case. So there's always a civil alternative for annexations or secessions. That's applicable to the American South. That's applicable to Northern Ireland. That's applicable to Spanish Catalonia. That's applicable to Hong Kong, Taiwan, Maybe Texas and Florida. I know the fact that uh, there's a risk of uh, Texas and Florida wanting to secede from the Union. I know in East Oregon, there is a small group of people organized to secede from Oregon and join Idaho. I know, uh, you know, back in the 2008, I believe, Long Island, New York wants to secede from New York City. And what about the tribal nations, the Native Americans? So, you know, I think the, the, the sad part is this. In the, in the United States, there, I believe the Constitution allowed secession. However, there's no international courts or international laws that allow annexations or secessions. In the past, all these has been done by force. Right? You don't want to be independent from the French. 
For Vietnam, the only thing you can do is to have an armed struggle. The South of the United States want to secede from the Union. They are met with a civil war. And the, and the Northern Ireland, the Northern Irish, is an IRA, has carried out a pretty prolonged, violent struggle for their independence. So now I'm going to talk about Taiwan and Hong Kong. First of all, Hong Kong is a it's a easier uh, easy topic because uh, Hong Kong has always has this uh, English law system. The justice system in Hong Kong follows the English legal system, and I think it has worked out pretty well, as I've said in the past episode. There has there is a legislative effort to make it possible to extradite people from mainland who committed crime in mainland back to mainland if that fugitive is in Hong Kong. That is viewed as a major intrusion to the independent justice system of Hong Kong. And there's clearly a very legitimate concerns of that. Okay, I for one is for maintaining the British justice system in Hong Kong with no zero intrusion from mainland China. I'm saying this in accordance with the one country, two system principle, meaning that Hong Kong should be allowed to have its own legal systems, one country, two systems while still being part of China. The issue with Hong Kong, as I learned afterwards, the demonstration became violent and uh, it's out of control. That is bad. You know, going back to the NLK's philosophy is that when you are dealing with a very, very powerful authority, militarized authority, such as the United States government back in the 1960s, you should never use violent means to seek remedy for your grievances. Nonviolent civil disobedience is the only way to go. So unfortunately in Hong Kong, the protest turned out to be violent. It's probably sanctioned by the organizer as well. So that is a tragedy because I'm pretty sure if MLK has ever been found to be involved in planning of a violent act against the United States, he will be murdered, just Fred Hampton and other civil rights leaders. Okay? So now let's talk about Taiwan briefly. Taiwan is a part of China and the international agreement. That is plain and simple. That I do not. I, for one, is against Taiwanese independence, and I'm also simultaneously against a forceful takeover, a violent takeover of Taiwan by mainland China. And there's a very good reason for that. Taiwan used to be a colonized island by Japan, just like 
parts of China were colonized territories by those European powers. One of the biggest things, a biggest strategy, the European powers, the Anglo-Saxon powers to dominate the world is to create an opportunity to divide and conquer. I'm going to use uh, the in, uh, India as example. The India, Pakistan, Bangladesh, all these places, now the independent countries, independent countries, but they used to be called British Raj, R-A-J, British Raj. And what the British did to British Raj, uh, Raj it divided British Raj into India, Bangladesh, Pakistan, so that these nations can have a conflict with each other among themselves, sometimes a violent conflict. Just like the colonizers in, in America, one of their strategies to have the native tribes to fight among themselves so that the colonizers can divide and conquer. The inner city gun violences today in America is just music to the white supremacists because that shows that Africans, are, Americans are killing each other in the inner city where they live. The Ukrainian war is also a music to the NATO countries, to the Western power, because uh, two groups of people closely related, ethnicity-wise, racially speaking, Russians and Ukrainians are closely related. It's a complete joy for the Western countries to watch these two groups killing each other in great quantities. So to me, it will be a gigantic mistake for mainland China to use force to take over Taiwan. Because I'm going to use Hong Kong as an example. Hong Kong was lost to Brit the British crown for 100 years. Yes, it's a painful 100 years. It's a humiliating, humiliating. But eventually, you get it back, right? And what good it will do to have a Chinese killing Chinese? The only good thing you can do is for the European powers, for the colonizers. So for that, I sincerely hope there will be no war between Taiwan and China, or between China and the US, or for any reasons. So with that, I'm gonna to conclude today's episode. India is always branded by the Western media as the largest democracy by population, which is true. The British Raj, as I said earlier, is the probably the largest colonized population back then. Africa, the entire continent, was the largest colony by landmass. 
If you look at today's UN, it's a makeup. The UN is made of nations of multiple races and ethnicities. But is UN intended for resolve the conflict between these colonized nations and the colonizer? I don't think it is. The fact that the UN is already being taken over by the NATO, the white militaristic organization, is the proof that UN is not UN is not a a a a a, a, a organization for racial equality. Okay, so what Japan proposed, so-called the racial equality clause for the League of Nations back in 1919, 100 years ago, is not accepted today. And the founding of the United Nations in 1945 is established by majority, uh, by, 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 by sheer majority of uh, European countries to maintain the colonialistic policy against the Indochina countries, against African countries. So again, United Nations is not a venue for global justice, despite it's a seemingly looking good UN charters. Because United Nations never address the historic wrongs of its own doing. Right? How you doing, Peter? Can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you, William. Go ahead. I, I could preach it, man. You're talking the truth. And I want to say someone who's grown up in Connecticut, one of the founding states, which I call Corrupticate, that's dubbed the Constitution state. It's not. It's completely corrupt. And I have lots of evidence and experience of that. But, you know, people don't realize uh, what you're singing is true because we're grown up under this propaganda, we're fed our whole lives here through the mass media, TV, school, college, you know, the ongoing propaganda. And it, the, unconsciously, there's no question, in my opinion, that there are intentional dog whistles that are planted so that when we hear the word communism or socialism, those go off. And right away, I have to fight them myself. They're there. Like when I hear... I have to catch myself that unconscious condition, go, whoa, 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 Bill. You know, and, and I, I know better, but I still feel it. And I know this is the issue here for a lot of Americans. We've been totally uh, propagandized. Our understanding of history is completely warped through, as uh, the CIA director under Trump, uh, Pompeo, said, you know, the history is written by the victors, you know, that's, that's, yeah, yeah, yeah. sorry. Yeah, yeah, correct. I'm doing this because, uh, because Howard Zins has said his book called the people's history of USA is mm -hmm. for the losers, right? I'm here to talk about losers. You know, you were not here, William, earlier. I have mentioned that when there's a gun violence, I said, that's the root cause is a failed justice system. Oh, because yeah. I, I use example of this a father who is living 20 minutes from where I live on September the 9th. He killed his own three children and then his wife and then killed himself. 
I said, okay, when someone kills his own children, that means that there's a lot of grievances that there's no justice system can resolve. Right. Right? So, so again, you know, I just don't buy these theories that somehow the courts are so just and fair and there's so something called a blindfolded lady justice. No, that's all, that's all for children's play. You know, tell a Santa Claus story, right? So, no, you, you're, you're right. I want to wake people up saying, no, this is our, the communism is really not an ideological thing. It's a racial thing because, uh, you know, it's because uh, the U.S. tried to have always tried to avoid have a direct military confrontation with the Soviet Union back then. But they are very willing to get into Vietnam because the Vietnam, Vietnamese are considered by these white decision makers. Oh, they are smaller, tiny people. Our big bomb will scare them away, destroy them, right? But it did not work. That's the worst thing that ever happened to the U.S. military. That it did not work. Yeah, that was um, the Gulf of Tonkin. That you know, it's interesting how in this country that over time, you know, through FOIA requests, Freedom of Information Act requests, we get leaks out that are redacted, of course, where we realize LBJ pushed that. Um, I guess uh, the CIA, obviously, you know, the way I see it, brother, is this. Because, well, let me first talk about the U.S. justice criminal system. Mm -hmm. um, I've been arrested four times here illegally in Corrupticate, exposing corrupt lawyers, corrupt Catholic Church, corrupt um, uh, corporations. I was getting brain MRIs. Long story short, I was stuck in hotels, long-term stays, because no one would rent to me. I had a tumor that had killed my uncle, and I moved back into Connecticut. I was sick. I ended up being found disabled by a federal judge back to 2012. They illegally prosecuted me when I was complaining about credit card fraud, felony contract fraud, credit card fraud. And it took, listen to this, my friend, a couple uh, emblematic situations. It took the collection agency for B of A, local law firm Rubin and Rothman, during the CARES Act, you know, they can go after your money here, the way that CARES Act was written. So they tried to go after my CARES Act money, even though I'm bankrupt. That's how predatory they are. And it was Rubin and Rothman senior attorneys who agreed with me. It wasn't the courts. It was their collection agents. They take me to, to good. Take me to court. I've already declared bankruptcy. But I'd love to see you try and, and collect on my CARES Act money under fraudulent pretense. I said, make my freaking day. So I sent, they actually had a, program with the American Cancer Society extended they did that they lied to me about for three and a half years. I paid off over $30,000. I had all the brain MRIs and documents from Sloan and Yale Smilo. And the judges are so corrupt here, brother. The, the, the hotel industry in Corrupticate collects a total of 15% tax. You have state tax and hotel tax, 15%, over $100 million for the state every year. It's the biggest cash cow industry that pays for their police and their corrupt judges, you know, the whole thing. And so they, they, the collection agency agreed with me and sent that attempt to collect that fraud back to be of a legal, and they're circling the wagons. You know, that's one example. I'm going to give a couple more real quick. I don't know how much time you have. Uh, no, no worry. No worry. I, I got time. You know, I usually watch, uh, follow uh, NFL games. So I have until one o'clock. So go ahead. Okay. But, by the way, William, I don't mean to cut you. I'll give you all the time you need. 
the this particular show I'm doing is actually mostly focused on domestic matters and cases. Okay, today is the first time I branch out to the international scheme. What you just said, and also what you're just going to tell me, is all I'm saying is that I uh, have said already in the capitalist society called America. The bar association's goal is to promote their own profitability, not to uphold justice. That includes the courts. So that whole thing is entirely fundamentally not good. So with that said, you know, go ahead. Tell me okay. what else happened. So mm -hmm. here's another one. I was sexed by a priest of Fordham way back in the day in 78, Jesuit College. And my original abuse was my own parents, okay, incest. So I became a victim's advocate and I reported all, well, my parents are dead, but the, regarding the pre-sexual assault, I want that criminal syndicate called the Catholic Church that has canon laws of secrecy that I studied that impeach them entirely, including their modus operandi, their mens rea for actus rea, which is mindset for actions for crimes that, that should be prosecuted in the international courts at The Hague and in the United States under the Sex Trafficking Pedophile Pederasty Racketeering Act Crime Syndicate by the rule of law, by Federal Section U.S. 792, you harbor a felon, you're a felon, and their canon laws impeach them. And so, sure, Detroit Law offered me money to get me to shut up the Foreign Board of Trustees. I was thoroughly vetted. They referred me to Detroit Law. You know who they hired, my friend? A former U.S. attorney, David Kelly. I'm like, how many bishops have you indicted, man? You know? And you can forget about me taking a gag order and money. That'll never happen. I'll die singing this truth that you are all corrupt. You're co-conspirators co of crime. And, of course, they hung up and they blocked my calls, whatever. But the Attorney General of New York sent me a thank you letter, Letitia James, because when I reported to Investigator Doyle, it took him three and a half months to get back to me. He said, Mr. Bonatati, I'm really sorry. We knew Tapia had died. Uh, we understand what happened here. He said, uh, we were so busy. We were so busy, my friend. He said, with so many complaints for living priests that it took us three and a half months to get to you. Three and a half months. So Letitia sued. Uh, the, well, yeah. let, me, let me tell you that uh, you are preaching to the choir here. So basically, I had a lot of, uh, I did a lot of research on the Catholic Church myself. I attended uh, Villanova University. It's a fine Catholic uh, school. But uh, talking about uh, what you just talked about, I actually did uh, almost exactly what you did. And, uh, you know, feel free to message me uh, separately. And uh, th that itself is a major topic, oh, by, right? But I will tell you something, knowing that you are from Connecticut. I, I hope you can understand by what, uh, you know, by listening to my all my prior episode. I'm not a conspiracy theorist. You know, I'm just saying this is what the court issue, uh, opinion. They, the judges, the justice wrote these opinions. And, uh, you know, I'm not making it up, right? Uh, but I, I personally hate conspiracy theorists because they do not bring, uh, uh, they do not enhance or advance the truth-seeking effort. Because uh, being from Connecticut, I, know, I actually have a great story about Sandy Hook massacre. Oh, I'll too. tell you, like you said, about the corrupt uh, Connecticut government, right? Actually, I know it's because of the corruption in the Connecticut government. 
First, protecting the gun industry. Second, protecting the insurance industry. Third, protecting the pharmaceutical industry. One of the criminals is actually on the run in New Zealand. New Zealand has no extradition uh, agreement with the US. This person actually still lives in New Zealand. Uh, guess uh, why people will not choose to uh, go after them, the government? Because uh, it will not fit well to the to this gun control narratives. Right. Okay. Like I said uh, earlier, twenty minutes from where I live on September the 9th, a man pulled pulled out a gun, shoot dead his three children and his wife, and then kill himself. Is it this a mass shooting? Yes, it is. Mm. But why nobody talks about gun control? Because behind it is actually the proof. There's no justice system to resolve grievances or disagreement in this guy's situation. He's not alone. I have so many similar cases. Okay, like I always said, you know, I don't care whether you're white, brown, black, Asian, whatever. The court does not work for any one of you, period. Right, now we're going to get it. Go ahead, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, go ahead. I want to give you more concrete examples of that. So it took a couple of years from my first report with D.A. Johanna Hernandez in the Bronx and Chief of Security at Fordham, Rose Hill. Um, Jim Hanley was at Lincoln Center campus. And uh, let's see, there was two investigators uh, who were with security um, who investigated um, I'm, I'm drawing a blank on the other one, but Jim Hanley was one of them. Bill McSurley. Okay, they thoroughly investigated, thoroughly vetted me, looked at my school records, asked me a ton of questions, thanked me. I was referred to Sister Eileen Clifford, the victim's advocate for Cardone, who was really nice. Now, they had symposiums at Lincoln Center run by Fordham and Gonzaga University regarding priest abuse and culture, three of them before the pandemic. So in the meantime, Letitia James opened her investigation in 2018. And that went on for a couple of years, and she filed a lawsuit in November 2020. So that was ongoing, her investigation, you follow? So anyway, by the way, she came up with a whole bunch of priests of uh, the New York Diocese, so many that Bishop Malone, who she sued, and I don't know what came of that. I haven't seen any recent press releases. You know, they learned to talk double negatives, the church, with their lawyers. He said it's not unlike a tsunami. And as opposed to saying it's like a tsunami, the number of complaints that sounds too like real. You know what I mean? We got to say it's not unlike a tsunami. It's it's it's, it's, oh, it's infuriating. And the DOJ, I'll get back to my individual case in a second. The DOJ opened their investigation after the Pennsylvania grand jury investigation. Attorney Shapiro, in 2018, the DOJ opened their investigation. Do you know Trump and Barr shut it down December 2020? citing statute limitations issues. Well, that's an interesting claim, Peter, because in every state it's different. In Connecticut, there's no statute limitation to the sexual abuse of a minor, and then it's tiered back. For young adults, it's 30 years. For adults, it's 20 years. In New York, it's five years. In Missouri, I think it's two years. I mean, what the hell? And so, you know, how does that happen? The U.S. Catholic Conference of Bishops lobbying power and money 
And that's why we have such a screwed up system in this country that starts with the legislature, who I claim are complicit criminals. They're taking bribes to protect us. And we can talk about, obviously, you know, at some point in the future and whatever, about, you know, too big to fail, the banksters, the foreclosure scams, the bailouts. Well, the, the well, whole thing. I'm going well, to stick with the, the church. Uh, yeah, yeah, of course. Talk about, right? And let's not to like, digress too much. Right. So, right. Uh, like I said, I have actually done a lot of work in that regard. Uh, and uh, I don't know, uh, because uh, this show is about, you know, whether we have a, a actually functioning justice system in America at all or not. No. Right. But, uh, but I want to just quick uh, to cut to what I want to share with you is this. Yeah. Uh, I actually believe uh, uh, the biggest uh, problem for the government, our government is that the church has penetrated, infiltrated our government. Oh, yeah. Because in other words, the lawmakers you are complaining about, they are actually have ties mm-hmm. to the church, mm-hmm. right? Because uh, uh, organized crime, if you are a boss of organized crime, and you know there's a laws, there's a lawmakers, there's a law enforcers, there's a judges who administer the cases under the law. You want to infiltrate your inference among them. And there's a lot. So I know Barr, William Barr is a Roman Catholic. Yep. Right? So so the, like I said, you know, just tells you that I actually know I'll tell you all the federal law enforcement officials that I come across. You, uh, who are responsible of involving sexual abuse of children? They're all Roman Catholic. Yeah. Okay, so no, I, I, I don't want to be a conspiracy theorist. I want to do the case by case, right? And uh, going back is that uh, uh, the, uh, you know, this, this show is all about just telling you that if legislative branch and the executive branch government of the government is corrupt. At least you need to have a good court to be impartial, willing to listen, let facts develop, and sh- let have the rights to have a jury trial uh, occur, actually happen. We don't have that. That the the gatekeeper should be those the courts. My problem is that times and times again. The courts is the place where the injustice actually happened. Right. Okay. Let me add. That's to, my, go ahead. Okay. Go ahead. So it's bottom line is I didn't get a thank you letter from Letitia till September, 2019, because of course they're doing their investigation and then they want to see if they get anybody else calling in while they're doing their investigation about this particular priest. They got a whole slew of priests at Fordham, including Cardinal McCarrick, the first Cardinal defrocked in 500 years as a Fordham alumni. So Fordham was a nest of this, right, behavior. And so... Before I forget, before I forget, I just want to tell you another thing that shows how powerful is church. The church is actually more powerful than the government of the U.S. Oh, yes. Why? Okay, you used the word foyer earlier. Is that right? Remember you just used, right? Is uh, uh, is the you know so the for the CIA for our FBI whatever dirty shit they did, we can find out maybe thirty years from today under right. FOIA. Is that correct? Right? Yeah. Do the same to the church. No, no, no. <laughs> Look, you see, the church actually has the. <laughs> you, you, so, so this is what I want to tell you is that I, I just show you that I actually did a lot of research in this same area that you're talking about. 
So, yeah, I'm, so, I'm sorry, so, uh, so let me finish uh, my uh, episode today. Just I have one quick conclusion, and yeah. I'll, I'm done with, and I'll be happy to have you talk more. Okay. So what I want to say is this: the UN, the United Nations, is not some kind of a global justice institution. It's not. You know, as a matter of fact, this guy Scott Ritter, who is the UN weapon inspector. Mm-hmm. And he's a decorated a U.S. veteran, Marine Corps, and all that. He, he said this, okay? I was laughing when he said this. He said, look, all these international courts, ICC, they are all located in European countries, white countries. Their cases are always involving defendants in Africa or some other South American countries, colored people. And, and so basically... The defendant has no role, pay no role in making those international laws. It's up to those white European courts right. to decide whether they have made a, committed a war crime or not. So by, by this structure, you know, then the, we, the U.S. can do another Iraq war, mm-hmm. right? Do another Vietnam war, right? Do another whatever we want mm-hmm. because uh, the courts is already set up to help us, to, to help the white majoritarian forces. That's not justice. And that's why it's going back to Chairman Mao's Second Amendment statement. The political power comes out of the barrel of a gun. And that's why I always equate that to the founding father's wisdom. The Second Amendment is so important. It's the second in the line for all the rights American an American must have. So, you know, to, to, with that said, you know, I just think the UN is still made, controlled by these European countries to make, quote, international laws, unquote, to enforce, quote, international laws, unquote, and administer, quote, international laws, unquote where those colonized countries and people has no say in how those are made up because that's after the Civil War. So what my hope is this, after this Ukraine war, I consider it's a NATO-Russia war, not the Ukraine war. I hope things will change because there's already people like India saying, we deserve a seat in the permanent security council of the United Nations. African countries are screaming, saying we need to be one of our countries should be member of the Permanent Security Council. Because they don't want this something called a taxation without representation, right? You know, it's not direct related, but it's the same concept. You want us to be part of this international, intergovernmental institution called the United Nations? You have to gain some credibility by having some kind of a racial diversity to have some specific goal to achieve racial justice. Otherwise, there will be no world peace because the war between Russia and NATO, to me, it's a racial war. It's not an ideological war. It's not about communism. Russia is not a communistic society. Their soldiers got paid to fight the war, you know, I know China was at least somewhat like a communist because 
Nobody, the, the hundreds of thousands of soldiers died in Korea, Chinese soldiers. They don't they get nothing. Trust me, that's a communism, pure and simple. But Russia's war today is not a communist war. It's a racial war. So I'm hoping that things can come out good. Some, something good can come, will come out of this uh, current war. So for that, uh, I'm going to conclude this global justice episode for the Judicial White Privilege Show. So thank you all. And William, uh, go ahead. Okay, thank you for sharing all that, and you're spot on. Um, let's start with the UN report on the Vatican, 2014. The Vatican was non-complicit. They would not supply documents known in civil law as tacit evidence of guilt or adverse inference. If you're not mm -hmm. cooperating with an investigation, that's mm -hmm. a, a form of impeachment in a sense. They would mm -hmm. not comply. Now, keep in mind, Peter, that a book that was printed by three former monks, Sex, Priest, and Secret Codes, a 2,000-year paper trail. 2,000-year paper trail was printed long before. the, the In fact, um, there's an article in The Guardian, 2006, by um, Brother Wall, uh, Patrick Wall, who was on the firefight team, as they called it, where in the article is, um, everywhere I turned, I saw sex abuse. And this is Patrick Wall, one of the monks who participating in co-authoring the book I just told you about. And he cites the canon laws of secrecy that I've cited here in Connecticut called Crimean, C-R-I-M, as in Mary, E-A-N, solicitations. Bishop Accountability also cites that canon law as impeaching the church for harboring pedophiles and pederasts. Well, that's a federal crime right there. And so the, their own canon laws totally impeach them, and they haven't lifted them. And so you have a crime syndicate, by definition, baked in to their own canon laws. International, because those canon laws start at the Vatican, not in Bridgeport here or in New York or anywhere else. So... There you have that. So you, there's a direct tie with evidence that's in the public domain. Monks who make the reports. In fact, one of them, Richard Seip, was depicted in the movie Spotlight. He was active in the Boston Globe investigation in the early 2000s that, of course, broke this wide open, and they made the movie on that in 2015. Now, why, as I told you, I was making my reports in New York, Letitia James' letter, everybody in New York said, okay, now here's the issue. This particular Monsignor was not ordained in New York or where I live in Bridgeport. He was ordained in Fresno. So we need you to report to Fresno. I'm like, haven't I done enough? Can't somebody, you know, in the criminal wow. justice system do that? No, no. That, that just, just it's a federal matter. It's an interstate matter, right? Right. It's, by the way, if you read the, uh, there's a history, uh, enemies, the history of FBI, Mm -hmm. uh, because this author has, uh, you know, he did a lot of investigation. I forgot his name. He literally made a statement say, the FBI are made of a major by majority Italian and Irish Catholics. Yes, yes. <laughs> so just, just, this tells you why there's never there's a federal prosecution of these church sexual abuse, which is clearly a federal crime. Right, right, exactly. That's the federal crime statutes, which I cited, and the state statutes. Yeah, okay. yeah. So, so, so another thing out there, like it just showed that I actually did a lot of research on this too. 
again, I'm not a conspiracy theorist. No, no. This I, is I, I always look for solutions, right? Knowing that the, the children may be at risk by, by, yes. by having this uh, arrangement, right? I would say, how come the church will never allow a nun to be present when the priest is with a youngster, a minor, being a boy or girl? It's just like a nurse should be with a doctor when this doctor is checking the private parts of this, uh, or, or uh, the parent of the child is with the, with the child, when the doctor is examining the private parts of a child. You know? I mean, so, so in other words, if, is this really religion really saying you, uh, women as uh, some kind of an inferior gender that cannot be even bear witnesses of what is going on? If they do that, then the future risk of future abuse will almost immediately stop, right? Well, let me jump in here. They have a problem where the nuns, many, many, many nuns have gotten pregnant and first to have abortions or live in different cities and give birth and the priests live a dual life. Just so, another can of warm, William, I'll tell you yeah. that. There's, there's a, so many things can be said about this uh, Roman Catholic Church is that I don't, like, like I said, I actually, when I was in China, I have a close friend whose uh, parents are both Roman Catholic. They were, you know, I would say persecuted by the communist government, mm -hmm. which I, which gave, I gained a lot of a sympathy for Roman Catholic Church and all that. I mean, it's only after I came to America, I was like, okay, with all these shady things happened, maybe, you know, I was being overly overcorrected, you know, when it comes to church. So, like I said, I attend the Villanova partially because I do, you know, respect, you know, you know, out of those uh, experiences. Mm -hmm. but, uh, but I learned afterwards, say, well, you know, if you really don't treat women equally, and you cannot, you know, I know, you know, biologically, uh, your celibacy cannot be maintained all the time that you are young girls and young boys, you know, what you want me to say, you know, I'm, I'm human myself. I'm sorry. And I'm pretty sure you are too. And, uh, and, 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 uh, by the, you know, by, by making this, uh, entire phenomenon between different jurisdictions, and even between different nations, it's a very serious criminal matter. Yes, and, and I, I want to say a couple of things. One, um, well, first let me tell you, give you the punchline. Make I was in counseling with the church organization called the St. Paul's Christian Counseling Center, which uh, they were uh, DPH license, Department of Health license, American Association, Marriage and Family Therapists, and AMA, the, the head guy, Dr. Um, Alexander, okay? And, you know, everything was fine when I was talking about my original abuse at home, you know, which was severe. But when I wanted to talk eight months into it about the church, do you know, let me tell you something, brother. While this investigation was going on in New York, and I was validated eventually with a letter from Letitia. I've been arrested three times and prosecuted illegally here for allegedly harassing the perpetrators. Wow. Three, three times. If you look my name up online, William Bonatati, like Bonita, B-O-N as in Nancy, I, T-A-T-I, you will see arrests that paint me out to be a giant monster.
I've gotten everyone dropped. I have never taken a plea bargain. I knew they'd never go to trial because it would impeach the complainants and the cops. And if you look in Shelton police, this cops have got fired for dereliction of duty there. That's the that's the police station. You got to keep in mind. All this has been happening under the nose of civil authorities. They have all been complicit accessories and accomplices to these crimes on the FBI level on down. I give you hard evidence for that in a moment. From the state police who illegally arrested me, Troop I, to the Shelton police, to the Milford police. Listen to this one. This one will blow your socks off, right? Okay. Federally and state-funded Sexual Violence Alliance in Hartford has nine-member group. One of them is the Milford Rape Crisis Center. Now, when I called the Rape and Incest National Network, which is an automated system, the acronym is RAIN, R-A-I-N-N, based on my zip code, I was referred to the Milford Rape Crisis Center. I counseled there with no issues for six months between 2014 and 15. They referred me to the church counseling group because I knew I was Catholic, and I thought after the Boston Globe investigations and the Dallas Charter that it could be safe and I can get counseling. And I, you know, I don't know what it is about being Catholic, but I always have this maybe because I just grew up in conditioned about being in a Catholic church. There's a certain reverence I felt or whatever. And so, so when the when the when the church had me arrested, of course, I went back to the Milford Wright Crisis Center to complain about it. I said, in your Sexual Violence Alliance counselors, you're, you're state and federally funded. You need to report this to the Department of Health and to the police. Their very charter, the rape crisis centers, is to help victims work with state's attorneys to report these crimes, right? Now, mm-hmm. let me dovetail something in here because it involves three police departments and jurisdictions. Here where I live in New York, and where the priest was ordained in Fresno. Do you know the Fresno police, to this day, will not take the complaint that I was told to make by everybody in New York? The, the, the alleged victim's advocate for the diocese has obstructed that and covered that up. And there's a great organization that I think you will find very resourceful. It's called Church Militant, Michael Voris. You can, they make YouTube videos. They're like the Boston Globe. They're a bunch of devout Catholics who even give mass in their own building and are trying to clean up the church. They get reports from seminarians who've been abused, nuns who've been abused, uh, all boys and men of all ages coming out. And they did a report on the Bridgeport Diocese, where I live. And Bishop Laurie, who's head of the Knights of Columbus, that night, the, here's how corrupt it is here in Connecticut, brother. Hard evidence, okay? The uh, rape crisis was, center sure. had me arrested uh-huh. for allegedly harassing them while I was reporting crimes. Those are class D felonies on them. Obstruction mm-hmm. by the cops who, who, had, who wrote the complaints and the prosecutors who prosecuted me. That's treason. That's high treason. Section 18 U.S. Uh, Section 18 U.S. 2381 and misprison of treason 2382 when civil authorities like cops, uh, judges, prosecutors do this under color of law, which is Section 18 U.S. 242. Um, I have federal subject matter jurisdiction to sue all these people in federal court on the civil rights uh, jurisdiction um, 
for sure. I got every criminal case dropped. So just I, I just want to say this. You can look me up online. You'll see an arrest, the rape crisis center. It's like, what? how do you get arrested reporting a pre-sexual assault? They said I was allegedly making calls harassing in nature. You know what well, my emails yeah, have, are? What, what are you, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, in this show, I have said, I mean, I use many examples, is that sometimes the government is the criminal. So Absolutely. Even, I, my found. Go ahead. Yeah, in this matter, okay, here's how they, they covered this up. Here's how they covered this up. Follow this one up. The state always offered me a nolly, nolly contendere. What's that? They want to dismiss the church at some point. However, with a nolly, and I use public defenders because I tried to argue my own case, and the judges violated my civil rights, and in fact, I'm sorry, there's a weed ear in the background, a little distracting. So there, there's, there's a 5456D is the Connecticut General Statute. The case laws are Ferretti versus California, Indiana versus Edwards. Under Ferretti versus California, I have a right to represent myself in criminal. The judge, as soon as I start talking, they realize, oh, this guy knows too much. They shut me up. Mr. Bonatati, we're going to sign you a public defender. As a judge, objection. I have no need for a public defender. I like yes, to represent I, myself. I, I, I don't mean to cut you short, William. I actually have the same line of thinking. I think uh, I've broadcast in this uh, show. Uh, the FBI raided my uh, residence. Okay. I was waiting for them to press oh charges because I know I commit no crime. And one strategy I'm going to adopt is that I'm going to represent myself. I'm going to say, in my case, the government actually is the criminal. Absolutely. So for your information, Freddie versus California is the case law where you have a right to represent yourself in criminal. I I actually fear what you just said. The judge say, no, I'm not going to listen to you. I'm going to order to have you to have a public defender. You know, for, for that, actually, I plan to do this. I said, I will accept that only under one condition, that the public defender will be my mouthpiece. I will literally write down what he or she is going to say. He or she is not allowed to make any decision, propose any deal, any arrangement. Uh, right, you know, that's you. the only condition. Mm-hmm, go ahead. I'll tell you how that's going to go because I had five public defenders, three, mm-hmm. four. Right. Five public defenders over this course of four years, 1,400 days of illegal prosecution, one involved in a, a corrupt law firm whose uh, the lawyers were tied in with the courts, um, did mediative services for the courts. One of their relatives is a prosecutor to completely false arrest. You, if you read the report on that, it's a total fraud. And I got mm-hmm. that case eventually dismissed. I, but I'll tell you how I got cases dismissed in a minute. But, so that's relevant to you. In fact, let me say, because we... We could talk for hours. So I have a call-in room called In the People's Corner. And In the People's Corner, if you search that, you'll see how I got four criminal cases dropped. I do a, a call-in that's 40, mm, I think it's like 50 minutes, right? Oh, you I, are, so you are calling host yourself. Great. I'm yes. going to look you up. Great. Okay. Yeah. No, so, uh, but be, 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 before I forget, because I want to share with you, you you'll, yeah. you'll get a good uh, uh because so, uh, I, I think I can learn more about you through your podcast and all that. Yes, yes. Because uh, w- one thing I have said in, in Delaware, there is this uh, Roman Catholic uh, person. He is also a judge of the state. He also is into boys. He mm. molested about 16 to 25 boys. Oh, my God. While he was 
the state judge. He graduated from Notre Dame, University of Notre Dame mm -hmm. Law School, okay? Well connected, okay? So, so one of the victims was a, a convicted criminal himself, but he is convicted for sexual crimes. Like basically, this guy is 22 years old. He slept with a 16-year-old girl, right? A sexual crime, right? So he was upset sitting in jail that this judge got away with molesting, you know, 16 to 25 boys. Sure. And this judge, by the way, admitted that he did it to one boys. It's a, in a civil settlement, similar to uh, 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 this guy, uh, Bill Cosby, okay? You're right. Uh, so this guy, this judge's name is William, also Bill, Bradley, B-R-A-D-R-E-Y, okay? Mm. He, so this guy sitting in jail want this judge to be prosecuted as a mm. criminal. Sure. You can take a guess what happened from he what killed? he heard from the, I'm sorry? Was no, he killed he in prison? Killed. No, he's not killed in prison. He's actually told him he needs to be super careful. He's not. The, 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 like I said, the, the police and the, and the prosecutor's office and the courts are infiltrated by Roman Catholics. Yes. They are the colleague of this judge. Yes. They know he never married. He was never married. And they know he, he have access to boys. He, he, he always go out to the Troubles Youth Organization. Yep, you know? that's where they predate. Yep. He, that's what they get. You know, because if you have a spiritual need to go to church, usually they're in, you're in some kind of a vulnerable state of a mentally. This is my opinion, yes. okay? Right? I mean, you know, if you need to take a pain medication, meaning you have some pain. If you need to go to church, you need some, you know, mental consultation or whatever it is, right? So, so going back, so what I'm trying to say is this, yeah, this guy actually got away. So, so he's not only just a Catholic, he's a judge. And by the way, where you can hear the term canon rule in addition to ch churches? I don't know, where else? The courts. Yeah, that's true. The, right, the court, it's called the judicial canon. Is that right? Yeah, that's right, yeah. Well, so let me tell you. Just, yeah, go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. Um, go ahead. Let me, while it's in my mind, uh, let me just mention an FBI agent who was hired by the church, executive director, uh, assistant executive director, Kathleen McChesney, was hired by the church in 2002 to be on the church's panel for, you know, child abuse and protection of children. The Catholic Church hired an FBI agent. She's been with the church. 20 years, she's still saying that transparency is necessary. So they've known all along. In fact, I've been to the FBI office, 1000 Lafayette Boulevard. They wouldn't open the door for me. I've been to the DOJ, 157 Church Street in the Haven. They wouldn't meet with me. And there's many other issues that I litigate. I, I filed four lawsuits. I always got fee waivers, my friend, because I'm disabled within 125% of the poverty level. So I could file lawsuits without having to pay, you know, the, the filing fees or the service fees to have marshals serve the lawsuits or serve subpoenas or anything. And, and uh, the fifth lawsuit I wrote was after I got the Christian Counseling Center arrest dismissed, the Shelton police was to indeed sue them. When you sue the police, they're not a separate entity from the city. The city, they work, they're paid through the city. So you sue the municipality or state, depending on the level you're working on, or federal government. And so anyway, so I sued 
and um, I wrote a lawsuit, and I was very successful in civil. I never lost a case, an arguable motion um, brought by opposing counsel. In civil, when they want to get a case dropped, they will file various forms of motions for dismissal and attempt to get your case dismissed. And so there were three, motion to strike, uh, hearing, or arguable, motion for non-suit, arguable, motion for summary judgment. All my motions for continuance were sustained and opposing counsel's motions were always denied. I got arrested in the courthouse filing subpoena requests, outing a corrupt judge, Hiller, and on a motion to open hearing, pursuant fraud on the court, abuse of judicial discretion. Now, let me tell you, I got arrested in the courthouse after I wrote that lawsuit and in a fee waiver hearing, one against the church, I mean, and and they, they initially denied my fee waiver. Then I appealed that, and they've had to approve it, and that's when they had me arrested in the courthouse. First, they had a state trooper come to my door and a Shelton cop to try and intimidate me into silence. They... They were like, the judge wants respect. I'm like, well, the judge never has cited me for contempt. I've never had a subpoena request denied. They've approved all my lawsuits. And I've never been cited for the quasi-criminal charge of contempt or uh, perjury in a civil matter. And I've never had a civil lawsuit dismissed due to what's called vexatious, frivolous lawsuit. Of course not. They approved for them to be served. I said, so there's nothing disrespectful I'm doing. Right now, you're abusing your power. Either you cite a penal code that you're investigating and you make a collar, you get the hell out of here. So they left. So it was two weeks after that they arrested me in the courthouse. But but I wanted to find out a little more about your case and cite, so you have Ferretti versus California, the right to represent yourself. Then they'll shove a public defender down your throat. And if you object too much, you can get a Criminal, quasi-criminal charge of contempt slapped on you by the judge. They rule that courthouse. There's no jury in pretrial. And the bottom line is they will railroad you. So you may end up, what happened to me was that every time they shoved the public defender on me and the state, the, the case law in that as a, the ability to assist the public defender is called Indiana versus Edwards. Indiana versus Edwards. Now, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. in this matter... Here's what they do. They, they knew, I said, let's go to trial. Because there's always good cops in the middle of my cases who I, I uh, would say, I want sworn statements. See, there's, there's evidence, right? There's material aspects of evidence pursuant uniform evidence rules and witness statements and circumstantial evidence. And so what I push my public defend to file motions for discovery for what's called inculpatory evidence and to acquire that evidence that the prosecutors, by the way, my friend, are required to disclose, which they didn't. And that would include sworn statements from any witness that were decent, who wouldn't do it, and um, also to go against the false police report. And then any audiovisual evidence whatsoever, any hard evidence, any emails or voicemails. For example, if you're telling me you're doing podcasts and you had the FBI come to your house, which I want to hear more about, then your obvious material aspects of evidence is your podcast recordings of that. That would be exculpatory. That does, You're not committing a crime doing what you're doing. So what's the basis for the raid and for what's the penal code they're investigating? What is it that they're alleging you've been doing. I don't know. I want to hear more about it. But what I'm trying to say is in the podcast I did, there's many resources I used uh, that were helpful. 
One was yeah, the I appreciate uh William. First of all, yes. uh, you know, we, we we definitely can talk more. I'm con not I'm not concerned about my FBI case because uh, they already indicate they have no case, <laughs> basically. Okay. And uh, and uh, uh, you know the, the only things that they seized about uh, 126 uh, electronic devices from me. What? And uh, yeah, and I, they still you know like they go through everything I have on that uh, freaking uh, all my electronic stuff. They still cannot find what I did wrong, right? And uh, right. of course, uh, the, the good thing is that they they gave me the two statues they searched my house for. I was like within 24 hours, I said. Nothing I did that we even closely matched to what you're talking about. Right, and right. So last, you know, last we sure is that uh, you talk about public defenders. Like I said, the entire justice system, this country, is a fraud. Yes. You know, there is a term called a fraud upon the court. Yes. But there's no such thing called a uh, court committing fraud upon against the people. Right. You know, uh, you know so. So going back to your public defender, you know, a lot of those racial minorities, when they are criminal defendants, you know, they will just be told by those public defenders, say, oh, you better take a plea yes. because, uh, you know, the court will be upset with you and you're wasting the court's resources and then the court will give you long sentences because mm -hmm. you fight. Why don't you just uh, agree? You know, it's not going to, you're just going to be in jail for only three years and blah, blah, blah. And uh, guess what? I'm told that 93% Mm -hmm. of the convictions are through plea bargain or whatever. That's right. Right. Mm -hmm. right? But by whom? By these parties. Right? Oh, by the way, like I said earlier, so so that itself, as you know, a lot of the racial minority got locked up because uh, they got tricked into this kind of a narrative yes. and the propaganda, right? And, and second is this. And this is, but because of this guy I talk about who was uh, sexually molested as a foster child by mm. this state judge in Delaware, no, he and I talked about because he's having a civil action against the judge, and I was helping him. Okay, because no lawyers, as you can imagine, will represent right. him because you know he's going after a judge, right? So, so he told me about his uh, you know rendezvous with this judge. Sometimes this rendezvous is in the so-called green room of the Dupont Hotel in Wilmington, Delaware. Wow. So this guy told me this. He said. It's over there. You, I can see all these judges, prosecutors, and public defenders. They are making deals with each other mm -hmm. about their cases. They actually say, okay, you better let my guy go on this, and then I will let your guy go on the other one. They are making deals during lunch. That's how the justice is carried out among judges, prosecutors, and public defenders. Absolutely. It's all, it's all done oh, in chambers. I had the former DA of Milford, Kevin, I call him Lawless Waller. His name is Kevin Lawler, who's now chief deputy prosecutor, go into chambers with my special public defender. Special is, see, the court decided they would use an outside law firm, a former supervisor public defender of Derby, uh, who now has a private practice, as a special public defender, they buried, I had a trooper Belize, my friend, wrote a five-page exculpatory report upon a cybercrime investigation, no criminal activity by me, and that was buried through two prosecutions by these public pretenders, which is what they really are. And so they... Public pretender, I like it. Pretender, okay. I yeah. Like it. And uh -huh. when, you get a, when you get a supervisoral one, I call them supervisoral. They couldn't fight the way out of a paper bag, they're so corrupt. It's unbelievable. I'm like, show me an email 
a material piece of evidence. By the way, let me jump up to the, um, they always give me supervisor once I was, I'm too smart to roll over and take their plea bargains, right? And so now you have for alleged class C misdemeanor, the lowest possible criminal charge above a, 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 a traffic violation, a supervisor and a special public defender. Brother, those those people only handle high felonies. They don't waste their time. They're 30, 31 years experience with classy misdemeanors. That's when you know they're railroading you when they apply someone with that level of experience on something they could never prove. And so I'm like, damn it, get show me an email. Show me a piece of material evidence. Did the cop ever get a recording of a voicemail that I left on an app on their cell phone? They all carry their cell phones. I said, they never had anything. And so here's what they did. This is critical. Here's what they did. You can't believe this. This is truth. Because I wouldn't take plea bargain. So you cannot nolly out an illegal arrest. The crimes are being committed by the cops and the church. And those are minimum for the cops class D felonies to obstruct my complaints of reporting crimes. I said, and so the nolly hangs over you for 13 months. So let's say four months into a prosecution, your public supervisor pretender comes up to you and says, the state wants to nolly it out. And of course, he'd been lying to me all along. And so I'm like, what the hell is a nolly? Oh, the state wants to dismiss it. I'm like, really? But Paul, you've been lying to me forever here. I'm going to check Mr. Google and see what the heck that is. All right, here's the thing. The nolly hangs over you for 13 months. So say four months into the arrest, they owe you a nolly. If you do that same thing again, you will be arrested again. You'll have two charges against you. Now, I had two illegal arrests dovetailing. So I already had those two hanging. If I got arrested again, which I got arrested four times, under the three-strike rule, I go straight to jail. Okay, for, uh, mm -hmm. go ahead. Yeah, uh, for a minimum of three months while they allegedly, a maximum, I'm sorry, of three months pre-trial while they allegedly investigated. So I always said, no, I'm not going to stop what I'm doing as an advocate. That is a rabbit hole. That's a, a bear trap set for me. I said, you can mm -hmm. take those knowledge and stick them where the sun doesn't shine, Paul. So here's what they do. They know they can't go to trial because all evidence would impeach the complainants and the cops. Oh, so then they say, well, we need to order a competency evaluation to see if Mr. Bonatati's competent to go to trial. Meanwhile, they already offered me a nolly, right? We never did go to trial. Do you mean the competency evaluation? So here's the puppets they use, the diabolical shrinks that the courts use. It's called Department Mental Health Addictive Services. The federal courts have them, the state courts have them. And they are puppets. And what they did was determine I was incompetent to assist my public supervisor pretender. Uh, so I had to be rehabilitated. Therefore, forced into jail diversion programs where I had to meet with a competency monitor once a week. If I didn't show up, I'd go straight to the Department of Corrections. So, of course, I'm like, okay, well, okay, this will be interesting. What the, now, me, I've disabled, wasn't working. And so it was like, pff, fine. I'm going to fight them as long as I can. For somebody who is working with children and whatnot, you may be squeezed to uh, in a point where you say, all right, fine, I'll take the nolly. I'll attend the jail diversion program. It'll be wiped from my record in 13 months. You will have to get it expunged at some point, but there will be no further prosecution on this matter. 
and it's worth it, right? For me, it's like, hell no. I wasn't going to stop, and I never did, and I haven't. So now here's what they did. They had me meet with three monkeys, psychiatrists, psychologists, and sociologists, right? Social worker, I should say, master social worker. And now you perform what they call a forensic team, you know, post-arrest forensic team. And always insist if that happens for anybody that your public pretender show up. You have a right, according to Cornell Law EDU, for your public defense. They never want to show up because they're part of the crime. So I'm like, no, you're going to show up. This is my right. You have to, I had to argue with them. They finally show up. Okay. So they give you what I call the Trump test. You know, you count back from 100 by 7, say X number of words forward at a time, backwards, then 4, then 5, then 6. And then they tell you seven words forward, but they don't have you repeat those backwards. Keep that, put a pin in that. Because at the end of the thing, they'll ask you to say those seven words backwards to prove you're incompetent. Who the hell is going to remember that after an hour of this bullshit? You know what I mean? I don't remember what seven words you asked me an hour ago. And I'll be damned if I'm going to be able to say them backwards. I said, you're freaking, this is a bullshit. If you asked me immediately after, I would have spat it out. But who's going to retain that? I thought that's long gone. You know what I mean? I, I I don't mean to cut you short. I understand you you're getting into the nitty gritty of uh, the your uh, the prosecution of you, right? Yes. I want to I want to bring up uh, this uh, uh, everything you have just said. You have a uh, clearly show it's a one sided power for yes. the government to punch you, right? Yeah. They they are in the higher ground to attack you. You are in the lower mm-hmm. end of the. Of the battlefield, right? Mm-hmm. Have you ever heard of this term called a private prosecution? Yes, I have. They did that to Donzinger in New York, the civil rights attorney for the Ecuadorian rainforest victims in Chevron. They, okay, I, I I do not know that. Okay, I do know is this in the these famous Amtrak uh, uh, cases in Philadelphia, which is quite recent. Mm-hmm. What happened is this: the private car, uh, prosecution is originally available in pretty much a, a states. Is that a private citizen can initiate a prosecution of a, a crime and get a jury trial? Let me so let me explain that. That just means that you don't have to be a private a public uh, prosecutor, get elected, or whatever, to prosecute a crime. In the Amtrak accident in Philadelphia, where you know, a few people got killed, a lot of victims' family believe the conductor, Amtrak conductor, is criminally liable for what happened. Mm-hmm. However, the federal government declined to prosecute. Mm-hmm. So what they did is they hired a private attorney and started a private cr- prosecution to go through the same process as if these victims' family are, are prosecutors. They just need to hire a private attorney to do that. Here's the, what I want to say is this. Why the church can get away of sexual molestation of children for such a long time? Why the police can get away from killing unarmed people is because somehow, somewhere, the the right for private uh, to have a private prosecution against the, what you believe is the criminals through a jury trial was taken away and yeah. left it all to the government. Mm-hmm. So only a government can prosecute a crime; a citizen cannot. But that is now I I do not know because I know about this fact is that it in the Amtrak situation 
the fam fa family of the victims actually was able to hire a private uh, attorney to prosecute this conductor, who they believe he's criminally liable. Okay. However, the jury trial ended with a, a acquittal. But I want to tell you, as a due process rights, this was taken away from the we the people. Now I'm going to find out who, which, which, uh, which uh, is this made by a legislation or is it by a judge? I'm going to going to guess is it by a judge, and uh, so that will show prove once again my judicial white privilege theory, meaning. Usually, it's the courts that are taking away rights of the people. Okay, so I want to bring that up because I know all the suffering you did is because government can literally tie you up and punch your face repeatedly. You have no way to fight back using the same tool. But yeah, what I want is original. Mm -hmm. yeah. Go ahead. Well, Go ahead. first of all, I suggest you study the Don Zingers with Chevron. The the Chevron. After Donzinger, as a civil rights attorney, won in the Ecuadorian courts $9.6 billion for the victims of Chevron's pump and dump procedures, which killed a lot of people with poison, groundwater, river water, everything. Uh, and in the appellates in Ecuador, Chevron brought it back to the New York district courts and used the private uh, judge uh, attorney process. And actually, Donzinger got eventually uh, convicted without a jury for contempt and uh, by the judge because he wouldn't turn over his laptop and cell phone, which are confidential information. He has to maintain that with his clients, his attorney-client uh, confidentiality clauses. So the prosecutor was going on what's legally called a fishing expedition. They had no grounds for it, but the courts are so corrupt that Donzinger was prosecuted roughly a thousand days straight he was house arrest with an ankle monitor and then eventually the judge found him guilty without a jury he went to jail his partners got him out and they beat it in the appellates so what happened here is the process became the punishment the man's never done anything illegal he's a great civil rights exactly attorney. <laughs> it's a process correct it's a, right. it, this is called an abusive a process against the people right because you know, like like I, you know, like I said, for all this, you would hope the court is a, an impartial no, no. arbiter yeah. of that. It, 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 it will sadden the hell of you if you find out the court actually is, is a, a participant of this abuse of the process. That's yeah. what I'm, my show is talking about. Is that, I said throughout the history. It's always, like I said, it's the court who sentenced the black guy to be the slave, while two other white guys escaped with this black guy from this plantation. Now, how could that be? All three guys who escaped, they're on the same trip, getting out of the plantation. You sentence this black guy to be slave, and then you have all the idea of getting more slaves out of Africa. You know, it's not this. Right? I mean, they, the, the court celebrated this Brown versus the Board of Education that ended the separate but equal. But it's the court 75 years ago established the separate but equal doctrine. Why are you celebrating the court? The court is the villain, for God's sake. Right? Yeah, I concur. So, let, me, let me give you a little more hard ahead. evidence for that. Yeah, um, go ahead. 
There's a movie, Civil Action, based on a true story up in Woburg, Massachusetts. My job, I work for federal Superfund sites with security clearances on federal sites operating heavy equipment. That's what I used to do. And I, I was not at the cleanup up in Woburg. But that eventually went to the EPA, and those companies, three companies, were fined big money. What they did was they did pump-and-dump procedures, which were common here in the United States per EPA, and are done around the world by our corrupt transnational corporations without regulation. And so there, in the movie Civil Action, you could find Robert Duvall played the corrupt attorney, and uh, John Travolta played a real-life attorney in the matter representing the parents and the children's, the victims, etc. And there's a scene you can find on YouTube on civil action, the truth. And there's another one on the negotiation. And it's, it's very powerful that it shows you how absolutely despicably corrupt the whole thing is. And that's, that attorney lost his law firm in real life, his partner, and he had to file bankruptcy. And that's all depicted in the movie. So... So I know if I try to go to federal court with this under 40, what's called jurisdictional matter, 42 U.S.C., 1983 civil rights violations, I will end up arrested just like I was multiple times here in Superior Court. The courts are the criminals. The cops dance for the courts, not the other way around. And so what I want to share with you before I forget, because this is important, this lawfare is referred to actually there's a term the lawyers use it's called carpet bombing and scorched earth uh, legal techniques where they 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 will basically bring up false accusations and charges now you're you're defending yourself and so you need to develop what's called an affirmative defense what an affirmative defense means that you acquire the material aspects of evidence that the cops won't somehow you insist on it through motion subpoena motion you follow me? You subpoena that material aspects of evidence that's been covered up. You motion for a subpoena. You, you, now, of course, the judge won't let me do any of that in criminal. They, no, they installed their... I, I don't mean to cut, cut you short. Uh, yeah. I, I understand what you're saying. I appreciate it. But yeah. I, I want to go back to your example about the movie. I don't use movies because I actually believe Hollywood is a part of the propaganda machine to promote the colonialistic principle and the practice in America. And I will use a real example to match what you said about this uh, uh, super fund sites situation. Yeah. Uh, Justice Gorsuch was being confirmed. He is critical of the justice system. Okay, this guy is a Supreme, sitting on the Supreme Court right now. He used the super fund site in Colorado. He was a plaintiff's attorney representing a class action about a, a nuclear dump a nuclear waste dump. He said this, okay, this is just courses. You can find out, he, he said this. He said, the entire case took 27 years mm -hmm. to come to a conclusion. He said, most of my client was dead. Right. He said, what kind of a justice is this? Right, exactly. Right, he also said this recently. He, he said in the confirmation, Four years ago, I think in, uh, five years ago in 2017, and these days, he said, for a law student to go through law school, they will end up, in addition to the undergrad student, that average $150,000 after the law school. Mm -hmm. He said, it's not part, you know, they are facing such a financial burden 
I mean, what's their goal after graduation? Get money or to allocate justice, basically. Right, exactly. Like I always said, the bar association's goal is just like any trade association, like a tobacco industry association. Their mm -hmm. job is to profiteer. Yes. They're not to, right? So so you have already, these are the Supreme Court justice saying this. So this is why my show only grabbed the actual opinion by the court. Well, and show my friend. Like, this is what the court ruled. And that, that's how outrageous it is. You know, it's not about it's not about some Hollywood or something. No, a lot of Hollywood. I remember a Vietnam vet said, "There's only two Vietnam War movies are actually close to be real. The rest is just BS." Right. What but I'm trying to no tell you though is, uh, go ahead. you'll find if you take the time to watch those two clips, I think you'll get hooked on civil action. That that to me really depicts the they depict the seediness and the putrid corruption in the movie. That's why I suggested for- I see, I see, I appreciate it. Actually, my, the remainder of my life's goal is just to showcase that our so-called justice system is actually a fraud. There is a total, I actually have a uh, suggestion how to uh, change the justice system. Like I said, among three branches of the government, the courts, the judiciary is the gatekeeper. Right. Even the court is corrupt. The rest is corrupt beyond yeah. recognition. Just, you know, I mean, like I always said, the qualified immunity is granted by the court. That's why the police can do whatever they want to do. Yeah. Okay. The prosecutorial, absolute prosecutorial uh, immunity is established by the court. Yes. Okay. Therefore, the prosecutor in your case can do whatever shit they want to do against you. Yeah, they do. You got too. no recourse. Right? So, so that's my, the goal of my remainder of my life is to just say, look, all these cases, you know, they will never teach you. The, even the hist history book will not teach you in the high school. Two of the cases that are in the, this book of mine, a, a collaboration, of course, is involving Rosa Parks' prosecution mm. and the Memphis uh, demonstration, which in these two cases, there's incriminating evidence that no history book ever taught Right. About the Rosa Parks and mm. never talk about why MLK has to travel to Memphis only to be killed right. by, by that sharpshooter. He actually don't have to go there, but there's a reason he has to. It's related to the courts. And yeah, well, so I'm yeah. Mm -hmm, go ahead. Sorry. Go ahead. Well, no, I think we both have a lot to share. What I, what I want to get to in my case is. So Demas, Department of Mental Health Addictive Services, right? This is very important. This is what I want you to understand. The third arrest, they used a Yale psychiatrist to claim I was incompetent to assist my supervisory special public defender, but possibly restorable. They know they incarcerated me pre-trial in a full max lockdown psych ward. I, 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 don't, I don't mean to cut you short, William. In a communist world, I know this. If you're against the government, the government will try to label you as a crazy, mentally unstable, and lock you up in a mental hospital. Right. That's what they actually you, did. You, Here's you are, what happened. Yeah, they actually, that's what they do to you. I'm not surprised. Yeah. I know it's other places. It's just like, mm -hmm. People do don't realize they, in America, it's that bad. Course. I mean, they, so what, what I want to share is, and I'm sure you know, is that first I had a judge try and get me involuntarily conserved for person in a state six months before they ran me into the psych ward. That was the same judge that I had filed a motion 
to recuse pursuant fraud on the court, abuse of judicial discretion. Okay, so, so th this, this happened where they assigned me a guardian and conservator, two attorneys who both said they were going to do the judge Arthur's first name a favor. I said, oh, mob talk. That's interesting. So what I did was I read the probate rule book for conservators, which you can find online, and I went in with all my evidence to prove that I was not there was no clear and convincing evidence to involuntarily conserve for person in the state and take away my medical rights, my rights to my banking, my, my freedom of speech, everything and anything. And so fortunately, I had a good judge, Hoyle Jr., who threw that out within about 10 minutes. Thank God. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. Now, mm -hmm. yeah. Mm -hmm. what happened was they had me arrested in the courthouse six months later, filing subpoena requests, minding my own business, Claimed I was harassing somebody at the back of the building, which I never saw all day. And so they put up their puppets, had me put in a um, comp eval, Dr. Zong from Yale. Keep imagine, we're the home of the American Bar Association and the Catholic Church in the United States. Yale Law School, Yale Divinity School, Harvard Law School, Harvard Divinity School. It all works okay. together with with the Knights of Columbus Tower in the Haven, the home of the go. Knights of Columbus. <laughs> there right? you go. <laughs> yeah, right. I know exactly. You know, know what I'm talking about, exactly. right? The three to yes, three Freemasons, <laughs> you know, the ladder, yes. right? Yes, so, I, I come, yeah. Trust me, I come, like I said, I have did a lot of research about the Catholic Church myself yeah. in, in Delaware and all that. So, but uh, again, I appreciate you calling. We can talk more and uh, yes. in the future. Okay. Yeah, I have to go back to the my uh, football game. My oh, name, of course. New England Patriots. Uh, fans, so I have to catch and appreciate. I was signed by the Patriots in '85, the year they went to the Super Bowl as a linebacker. I was with them for four months. Oh, wow, nice! Oh, even I better, have more, more reasons to wish you'll reconnect. Uh, sorry, either, right? from Ray mm -hmm. Berry, the Hall of Famer, uh, when they had to cut me, kind of apologetic. If, if in the future, if you would like, uh, give me a place to send it by text or email. I can send you the thank you letter with on the New England Patriot paper from the Hall of Famer, Ray Berry. They had to cut me due to numbers, but I'll let you go. We can talk no, about that. I want to thank everybody, all the listeners, William here, uh, you know, to listening and uh, and uh, appreciate it. Uh, hopefully I can see you again in the uh, on the next Sunday's episode. All right, have a great uh, rest of your Sunday. Thank appreciate you, Peter. It. God bless. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Bye.